You're listening to CX Passport, the show about creating great customer experiences with a dash of travel talk. Each episode, we'll talk with our guests about great CX, travel, and just like the best journeys, explore new directions we never anticipated. I'm your host, Rick Denton. I believe the best meals are served outside and require a passport. Let's get going. With a profile title of Experience Evangelist, former Walt Disney Imagineer, Grateful Cancer Patient, Neurodiversity Advocate, I couldn't wait to get today's guest, Sean Nason, on CX Passport. Those labels don't even cover the talented studio and touring musical and ministry career before getting into the world of experience. I've learned through my guests of CX Passport that there isn't just one way into customer experience. Sean definitely proves that to be the case. Today we find Sean at MoFi, a boutique design firm he created to reimagine experience ecosystems. Sean started that firm seven years ago, and you'll love the phrase a mentor, perhaps a better title of muse, told him that started Sean down the entrepreneurial experience path. If I stopped there with design, Disney, music, you'd have the makings for a fascinating guest, but Sean has offered the chance for me, and now you the listener, to explore areas of customer experience we don't normally choose to discuss, like real-life patient experience, as in Sean's words, grateful cancer patient. Or what does it mean to create customer experiences for a neurodiverse community? We're going to touch some really important areas today. Sean, welcome to CX Passport. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here, Rick, and to be on the CX Passport. Thanks, Sean. I'm, I've, it, this is going to be fun, and I think it's going to be deep and rich and meaningful. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Let's, but let's start just a little high level, because you talk about reimagining experience ecosystems. I love the way that sounds, but tell <laughs> me more what you mean by that. Well, let me let me start with the um, the professional definition. Of it. <laughs> I like that, <laughs> right? So we um, define an experience ecosystem is the web of people, touch points, and systems that combine to define the experiences of everyone who interacts with your organization. Um, and then to leverage that experience ecosystem as a competitive advantage, one that increases engagement, loyalty, and most importantly, revenue year after year requires engaging and humanizing the entire ecosystem. Okay. And so I, I use this as an example because it's really easy. And you, and you mentioned in my introduction, which is a brilliant introduction. I may have to steal that for many other <laughs> things. So thank you for that so much, Rick. Um, but Disney, right? So I was a Walt Disney Imagineer. Mm-hmm. And I spent almost seven years at the Disney Corporation, Walt Disney Corporation, Disney thinks about guest experience in an ecosystem approach. So what many people don't know about me is that I spent that time at Disney in the finance department. Mm, so I okay. have a I have a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in finance. Oh my. And typically in the world of experience, um, finance is probably one of the people that you rub the most with. Okay. But I learned at Disney that it takes the whole ecosystem. And I learned that what I did backstage as a cast member, Mm -hmm. um, because I didn't interact with our guests, I didn't work in the park, but I was backstage. I knew that every decision I was making as a finance person impacted 
the four-year-old princess or the four-year-old pirate. Oh, man. And that family. Yeah. Because let's be real, Rick. It's not cheap to go to Disney. <laughs> no, it most certainly is not. <laughs> and I learned that even more when I left the company. Yeah. People say people say to me, well, do you still get perks? Nope. I uh. pay full price. So, and we go a lot to Disney as a family. Yeah. Um, but there are families that save years yeah. to go have that one experience to take their kids, right? And so every decision I made... As I sat at my desk, as I sat in meetings, I had to keep them in mind. But what was more important is the people that were around the table making that decision. So think of it as a, a core team that had marketing and brand and mm -hmm. HR and you know engineering and the creative side and finance. You know, all of those people sat around the table making decisions on projects um, at Disney mm -hmm. uh, and particularly at Walt Disney Imagineering. And for those that don't know, Imagineering are the people that create everything from yeah. blue sky to implementation. So you walk into a resort, you ride a ride, you've been on a cruise ship, anything Disney is starts at Walt Disney Imagineering right. with the Imagineers. So all of those decisions were made in an ecosystem approach. Now, Disney doesn't talk about it that way, Right. No, it's I hadn't heard that term coming out of the Disney World. No. It's never come out. Of, and it really came out of a walk um, in 2021 that my partner, Michael, and I um, in the business, we were we were walking. We had been traveling for business and we were just kind of scratching our head around some things. And he said, well, what about this concept of ecosystem? And that's when I said, like an experience ecosystem. Yeah. And we defined it. And so if you go on our website um, at Mofi, it's customer experience, digital experience, supply chain integration, leadership culture, marketplace awareness, vendor relations, brand loyalty and messaging, and employee experience. Now, every organization has a different ecosystem. So when we go in and work with organizations, we help them create what is in that ecosystem for every touch point okay. that touches a member, a guest, a customer, whatever you want to call that. Um, and we just plainly call it humans. This is your captain speaking. I want to thank you for listening to CX Passport today. We've now reached our cruising altitude, so I'll turn that seatbelt sign off. While you're getting comfortable, hit that follow or subscribe button on your favorite podcast app so you'll never miss an episode. Love it if you'd tell a friend about CX Passport, leave a review so others can discover the show as well. Now, sit back and enjoy the rest of the episode. You know, you're right that as you describe that, because I've heard the 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 you know, front of house, back of house, front stage, backstage, all uh, Disney terms like that. But I hadn't thought of it in that experience ecosystem perspective, but it does. It makes sense. Just like we studied in our, you know, what seventh grade ecology classes or that sort of thing. What is an ecosystem and how does each piece inside of that ecosystem affect the other piece? How does the butterfly affect the lion? How does that all come together? And we talk a lot in the customer experience world about how do you get those roles that aren't customer facing to care about the customer and recognize how their decisions impact the customer. And you're starting that from the very beginning with that concept of experience ecosystem, that it is exactly that, that the finance team who may never see a guest, a customer, a passenger, a patient has such a deep impact on that. I like the idea of that experience ecosystem. And what I tell people in that 
when you talk about those people that don't necessarily touch those yeah. um, guests, members, customers, um, then that's an issue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, because you need to go where they are. So yeah. when I was having a bad day or, you know, I would leave a meeting where, you know, we had to make budget decisions and, and make hard decisions. There were many times, Rick, I would take off my name badge and I would slip out of one of my offices. I had, I was really fortunate. I had an office in Florida at, you know, I was in Epcot and Magic Kingdom okay. at yeah. studios at Animal Kingdom. I had offices and all those. I could step out of my office and walk into the park. Nice. And that's when I would look at the kids, the parents, the smiles and go, okay, that was a really hard decision we had to make, but ultimately it's going to be better. Good. And like that. um, that's what I tell people. Yeah. You know, if you sit in finance in a corporation, go find where your customer is. Yeah. Go find where your member is and go learn from them. Gosh, there's so much. It's like I asked you one question and we've already hit some of the major themes that are so true about customer experience. Get out there and actually be in the world of customers. And it's Understand. not a VOC program. No, no. It's just Let me say that. It's not a VOC program. Yeah. Um, and that may be controversial in the industry um, because it's great to have a VOC program, but that's not that's not living and walking in their shoes. Yeah, and it's funny, Sean. You say controversial. I think it's it's controversial if it's presented as an or statement. So I talk a lot about total voice of the customer, and yes, I actually think that getting out there, embedding yourself into the customer, is part of voice of the customer, but only when you view it in that universal total VOC approach, as opposed to just a series of surveys or a little bit of social media listening or what that is. Getting out there and living the life of the customer is how you capture those customer is one of the ways you can capture that customer voice. Absolutely. Love it. I love it. Now, this is going to be a big switch. We're talking about Disney. We're talking about, well, maybe not a switch, actually, now that I think about this. But you had shared with me in our pre-call that you have some very, very direct exposure to the neurodiverse community. And I, I have to be very transparent. I have to admit guilt here. I haven't spent much time considering that from a customer experience perspective. So I'm really curious, what are your perspectives living in that community, experiencing that? So how does that affect your perspective on customer experience, experience design when you think of the neurodiverse community? Well, so I will admit guilt just as you admitted guilt. <laughs> when I started in this field, you know, 15 years ago, I wouldn't have had that lens. But very fortunate to my family, um, seven years ago, my wife and I adopted our son. Um, and we adopted him as a baby, brought him home from the hospital. And through that journey came to learn that his special gifts in neurodiversity, and those are he has childhood apraxia, so he has speech issues, that led into finding another diagnosis with autism. And just in the last year, he was diagnosed with epilepsy. So you have a seven-year-old mm. perspective. Um, and then we have a 14-year-old daughter um, who is adopted as well, who has severe ADHD and some anxiety disorder. Okay. Um, and then my wife and I both think we both have adult ADHD too. Okay. So a lot of neurodiversity in our home. So you can only imagine some of the craziness at times. You are amazed what it does when you don't have the ability to go into a restaurant 
um, because yeah. you don't know how your autistic child is going to behave mm-hmm. um, or go on a vacation or go get their hair cut um, because it it's sensory overload mm-hmm. for them. Right. And um, so people say to me, and it's going to tie back to Disney. Um, and I hate to, <laughs> to, to keep doing this, but um, my wife and I have turned in, we as a family have turned into a cruise family. Okay. Um, and we take Disney cruises. And the reason we take Disney cruises is it meets each of our neurodiversity in some aspect. Hmm. So just recently, the beginning of August, um, in between my treatments, um, we were very honored and privileged to be on the new Disney Wish, the newest ship for Disney. Okay. And um, what happens, we call it the Disney magic. Every cruise we go on, every time we interact with um, Disney, our seven-year-old son blossoms and takes a step further um it's because they treat him just as anyone else Hmm. he's not treated as a kid with special needs he's not looked at differently they just treat him as a seven-year-old boy who's on these cruise ships and um the new disney cruise ship has this ability um, when you check them into the kids club um, they actually can go down a slide okay. into the kids club uh-huh. from one deck to the next deck. Doesn't sound like a big deal, but you have no idea how that met his need as a sensory. He loves slides. Oh. So when he wanted to go to the kids club, he would say, you know, daddy, mommy, um, auntie, um, can, can I go slide? Well, that meant, can I go to the kids club? And can I go spend time there? And on this particular cruise, Rick, he spent hours in the kids club, five and six hours for an autistic child, a praxia child. Yeah. Um, even with his, uh, you know, his dish, his issues with seizures and epilepsy. It was amazing to watch him blossom and learn and do new things. And so every place I go now, I stop and think, not just for him, but for the whole neurodiverse community. How is this set up for them? And a prime example in restaurants. Restaurants are really loud. Yeah. Yes. Just with people. Yeah. Well, then if you add music on top of that, it's really, really loud. Yeah. Um, so if your music is loud and your restaurant's loud, my family can't visit your restaurant. Yeah. Because my son can't handle it. Um, So we have very few restaurants in the city of Cincinnati that we can go visit and take him into where we don't have to worry about him hitting sensory overload. Yeah. Um, So when I walk into restaurants and it it feels hip and cool and it's like that, I also stop and think, who are they not going to serve because of that? Sean, there's there's a lot in there. Like I would want to almost just sit for a little bit here and think about it. But I'm thinking about both the Disney and then the restaurant experience that you're describing there. And I I would imagine, at least I'm assuming, that the restaurant didn't go into this saying, hey, we just don't care about that community. But rather, they just probably aren't thinking about the community. In the reverse, do you think that Disney is – is there an active – and I don't want to make this all about Disney, but just in the example. Do you think there's a conscious choice 
that they're saying, hey, we want to design this for a neurodiverse community? Or is it more general that it's just being sensitive and aware of the wide diversity that exists in the human population? I think it's probably more the wide diversity. Okay. Uh, but I will get uh, – uh, and we'll go away from Disney. I'll give you a very specific, <laughs> a very specific example where I do think it's very much designed and they're very conscious of it. So we live in Cincinnati, Ohio, and for our son, it's easy to drive about four or five hours. That's his limit. Uh, well, five hours from us is Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, Dollywood. Yep. So Dollywood was the first theme park in our country to build a sensory room for children and for people with neurodiversities with sensory overload. Huh. Okay. So he loves to go to Dollywood just as much as he loves to go to Disney. Um, We love taking him there. Um, It's not loud. They play music, but they play it softly. Mm -hmm. Um, He can ride rides there. But then if he gets overloaded, myself or my wife can go into that sensory room and let him decompress. Wow. Um, And it's a specific room there. And they're, very aware of that so when you come into the park you can get a card that says you know this child has you know or an adult not just a child yeah has a neurodiverse and gives you that permission and grants and they're very aware of that um wow. and they built that for the park so it's in that case it's a conscious choice and they were first i i must admit i'm actually getting some chills here listen to the story i'm not that's not blowing sunshine up yours or the listener's fanny right now i really am getting chills thinking about the level of concern and interest and just focus there. And I don't want to leave this topic just yet because I'm thinking what's missing in experience design when I think about an entire population being not being told directly, but through your own experience, basically being told you can't dine at this restaurant. You can't go to this restaurant. And I'm sure not every restaurant will be there for every person, but I wonder on the flip side, is there an opportunity here? Like, should there be a heck of a lot more experience design focused on neurodiversity? I think so, because I think we live in a, uh, I'm almost 50 years old. And I think when we were kids, it was just undiagnosed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, You know, he's really hyper. I do think that there's a huge opportunity to, for people just to be aware that when you're designing things, Think about the neurodiverse community. And it's not just the child with autism, but right. it's ADHD. It's all diverse, all those neurodiversities. And listen, I am thankful, Rick. Let me tell you, our son is a high-functioning autistic child. Okay. We have some friends in Cincinnati um, whose son is nonverbal, mm-hmm. not high-functioning, and when I think my, when I think things are bad for us at times, I think of them and think of what they have to go through to make his life easier. Yeah. Um, you know, but like I found a, I found a barber shop that has two chairs in it that is quiet. Yeah. Um, they will typically play music, but they know when my son comes in, they turn the music off. See. And so we always book the first appointment yeah. on a Saturday when we take him in to get his haircut. He now knows his barber's name. He comes in. He says his barber's name. He hops up in the chair. He knows what to do. Um, but three years ago, 
no joke, there was a point when we were almost having to put him in a headlock to get his hair cut. Oh, and he would geez. scream. Um, <clears throat> and we were taking him to the shop where my wife gets her hair styled. Right. right? Um, so I had to look and find this place, but we found it and they've catered to meet his needs. Um, and now he enjoys to get his hair cut and it's not a fight. Yeah. And uh, you know what I'm thinking about here? And and we'll leave. I realize now we probably should have had an entire episode just talking about neurodiversity. You and I may talk again <laughs> sometime, Sean, because I think there's so much more we could even unpack here. But some of the a thought that came to mind is not only are we talking about designing this for the benefit of the neurodiverse individual, but when there's parents involved, when there's family involved, my gosh, how delightful that must be for you to know that I can safely, securely, and comfortably have my child get a haircut on a Saturday and know that it is going to be a positive experience. That's got to be such a relief, not just for oh, the it, individual, but the parent. Yeah, well, and that's why we cruise. My yeah, exactly. Go, my son will go spend six hours in the kids' club. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's a dream that? for every parent. <laughs> right, and I have four, a 14-year-old who doesn't want to be around her parents. Right. right? Like right. every 14-year-old. So she's someplace else on the ship. Guess what? My yeah. wife and I can sit on the deck and sip drinks yeah. and enjoy that time or take a nap yeah. or whatever, knowing our kids are okay. So, yeah, it, yeah. It, people don't realize the relief that that brings to parents. And the wallets that you're opening as a result. So that oh. there is a massive Yeah, because price doesn't here. matter. Yeah, you don't care there. Just spend right? it all. Doesn't yeah. matter how much it is. It, you figure out how to make more money or save more or do yeah. it less often. To have those moments of brilliant, huh. yeah, absolutely beautiful. <laughs> this is a massive pivot, but there, there's so much. The problem with you, Sean, is you've got such a creative <laughs> background that I'm not entirely sure where to focus. But that musical and ministry experience fascinates me, just in general. Just yeah, we're all kind of interested in that. But the, the touring aspects, I have to imagine, it really opened your eyes. You know, as you're traveling all over the country, the country here in the case being the U.S., what did you learn as you were doing that kind of travel experience, passing through these various parts of the country? And, and what did you learn about yourself when you were doing that kind of travel? Uh, I think that prepared me for what I do today. Let okay. me say that. Um, because when you travel all over the country, and I've been very fortunate to travel globally as well, um, you learn to meet people where they are. Mm -hmm. And take those expectations away. Um, and, and as you mentioned, I have a ministry background. Um, I, I tell people I have a pastor's heart. And that's the reason that I've used the hashtag experience evangelist, right? Mm -hmm. um, my heart is for people and to see people succeed and soar and fly. Um, and so my team will tell you, I do more pastoring day to day than I do what people would call traditional work, right? Oh, because um, we work with clients and I have a team that executes amazingly. But even on my drive this morning, I had a leader call me who just needed to talk and vent over something. Nice. And I, as I tell people, I put my pastor Sean hat on <laughs> and I let them talk and I walk them through the situation. Um, and that's, that's what I think we need in our industry more than anything. Um, and you, you'll you hear me speak, and I love to ruffle people's feathers with <laughs> a disruptor. You know, I hate matrix or metrics. I think NPS, CSAT, all those things are, are just BS um, because they don't show the heart of people. 
Um, and you need to know the heart of people before you can create an experience that the, the person wants. Now, Sean, this is a little bit of a change of pace here. And I got to imagine, especially when you're talking about a tour bus, because I think you were saying <laughs> either on a pre-call, but I think you talked about it as a tour bus. So there weren't yeah. a lot of first-class lounges. But let's just imagine that you, you have this opportunity for the first-class lounge, and you do today. So let's take a little break. We'll move quickly here and hopefully have a little bit of fun. What is a dream travel location from your past? Sydney, Australia. Oh, yeah. Okay. What specifically? Um, I'm scared of heights. Okay. Um, but I challenged myself and I climbed the outer frame of the Sydney Bridge. It. Sydney nice. Harbor Bridge. Nice. Don't know that I'll ever do it again, but I did it once. <laughs> <laughs> One and done. One and done. Well, that, that had to have been a stunning view. Thinking then towards the, the future, what's a dream travel location you've not been to yet? New Zealand. Okay. We'll just hop right one over. Right, right over. What about New Zealand? Um, the beauty of it, mm-hmm. the, you know... Um, that whole area is just fascinating and beautiful. And I I think the people of New Zealand, um, from what I have seen, are just powerful. Um, and they love each other and they appreciate each other. Um, and I have a wife who loves The Hobbit. Okay. Um, so she wants to go. Yeah, um, get your... Get your Tolkien in as you yeah. wander the the, uh, yeah. the the Lord of the Rings and all that is there. All Absolutely. of those to Beautiful. go explore. What is a favorite thing of yours to eat? Cheeseburgers. Oh, sweet, fancy Moses. I am with you, sir. Mm. <laughs> yes. I don't need to ask a follow-up. Yes, cheeseburgers. <laughs> what a, On the other side, what is a thing your parents forced you to eat but you hated as a kid? Salmon patties. Oh my gosh! I haven't heard anybody say that, but I remember these. I, like the salmon out of the jar, and they out of the look- can, oh. and they cornmeal together and fry them. <laughs> I would imagine salmon done that way, perhaps with a little different ingredients, might be yummy. But you are bringing back some bad memories, Sean. What is one travel item, not including your phone, that you will not leave home without? My fan. Sean, you and I actually came to know each other through a LinkedIn post. It was one of those very organic things. You said something, I commented on it, and it had to do with a particular patient experience that you had, had well, experienced. And that, just like the neurodiversity topic, patient experience could be its own episode and actually probably even its own podcast series. So any listener, you want to launch something, focus on patient experience because we desperately need some help. But you've got this unique perspective with both your experience expertise, Disney, innovation officer, and all the others – but then you're an actual patient of the system. Why is patient experience so broken? Yeah, I wish that was an easy answer yeah. and an easy fix, yeah. right? So I, I've spent probably a good 10 years really working in healthcare. And I thought I understood patient experience. Um, I really did. I thought I understood mm-hmm. it. Um, but April 15th of this year, I heard those words, you've got cancer. Um, and at that moment, patient experience became very different. Yeah. It was about how do I save my life? How do I not die from this? Mm. How do I still be a father, a husband, a business owner? How do I do all of that? And, um, I started down the journey and it was unbelievable to me, um, how sophisticated I know the system is. 
But I went through my surgery, had the tumor removed, and then the words came that you have to have chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and our particular hospital system in Cincinnati doesn't um, have oncologists. So you have to go to a private oncology practice. So I remember walking in to my first time into the oncologist and starting the process of when chemo will start and all that. And I remember answering all these questions. Yeah. And we all know this. We've all done this a hundred times, right? All the same questions, all the same stuff. And I stopped and I said, can't you just look that up in the system? (laughs) And the lady stopped to me and said, well, well, you know, we're a private group and we chose to build our own electronic health record system. Okay. And I stopped and I said, and forgive me for saying it this way, but I said, well, that was really stupid. (laughs) Yeah. Because we have, like it or not, we have big systems out there. Epic, Cerner, like all these big EHR systems. Yeah. And you choose to go spend money on a new system to then make the patient have to go through the journey again Mm -hmm. and talk about the same things again. And again, like I said, Rick, I thought I understood patient experience. But every time I had to talk about it, I was like, this is depressing. Yeah. I just want to, I, I want to know what I got to do to get fixed <laughs> right. and get well and what right. this journey is going to look like. But I'm at, I'm getting asked the same questions over and over again. And um, I remember sitting there filling out the paperwork and because I do know a lot about patient experience, I remember walking into the room and um, my oncologist came in and I said, um, you just need to know, that in your paperwork you have two HIPAA violations and you need to get those fixed. Oh. <laughs> and the oncologist and, is looking at you deer in headlights or like, glazed over. Yeah, like, what? Yeah, the doctor's like, well, we probably should get the practice manager in to talk to you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's so much more. Gosh, maybe Sean, maybe we will. We may do another episode just I'd on love this. to. But what I what I heard you say in there, and it's such a cliche in customer experience. But what it sounds like is, let's use your example there, the private uh, electronic system. That probably was a really, really good system for that practice. For the practice. And it did absolutely nothing for the patient. Exactly. And the whole thing was designed with this inside-out view, right? We've, we've used heard this term, instead of the outside-in view. Yeah, you know, and I don't remember the specific story that triggered our opportunity to get to know each other, but I remember thinking that same thought. When I was looking at that, oh, and I think it was an insurance change or your provider was not able to be moved from one to the other, something along those lines. And this whole thing just seems so set up in in a way that the patient is always going to be on the losing end. And and I actually come from a medical background, not myself, but my father was a physician back in the, you know, think of the 70s, the 80s, and the early 90s. Well, it was different then. He started his own practice. It was kind of more patient-related. Now that it's become more of a... industry it just seems to have lost the patient in all of this well and a prime example of this is this private practice has a patient portal and an app Mm -hmm. right but i couldn't get access to it until after my first visit oh gosh they wouldn't give me access but if they would have given me access beforehand i could have answered all those questions and put all that information in the system Uh at my pace at my timing and been able to then use that. And that was one of the things I said to him. I'm like, this 
great yeah. for you guys, but it's not great for us as a patient. No, and let's take a question that you don't know. You know, I don't really remember what year I had my tonsils out. But if I'm yeah. sitting at home, I might be able to find that out, um, which was a lot longer ago than I want to admit. But regardless, <laughs> it is something that you know, that exactly that that focus on the patient. Yeah, we're gonna uh, we'll we'll find a way, Sean. We'll find we'll, a way to talk we'll, about we'll this. get together again. Let's do a let's do a road tour. Let's let's there go out go. on the let's road and it. just try to talk I, about I love road tours. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Let's get back on the road. Hey, I do want to close out. We're we're past time, but I don't care. I've enjoyed this conversation. It's more that I'd even want to ask you about. But let's close out by talking about MoFi. How do you truly get companies to action? Right. That's the. It's great to talk about an experience ecosystem, but so what if you're talking about it? How do you get them to actually reimagine it and do something about it? Yeah. So this is where I get really controversial in our industry oh, because oh, it's not. It's not about processes. It's not about metrics. Okay. It's not about reporting. Um, it's really about shifting mindsets and heart sets mm-hmm. of an organization. And um, my my business partner, Michael, and a very dear friend of mine, uh, Robin, um, we wrote a book um, during the pandemic called Kiss Your Dragons. Okay. And it's about embracing the the fears and the things that you're scared of the most in your heart and in your mind. And that's really what happens in an organization. So when we come in as a company, we want to address your heart sets and your mindsets more importantly than processes and metrics. We'll get to those. But if you don't make a shift to think differently, it's just going to be the same old, same old, and it's going to be a check the box Mm. experience. You know, I joke with people. I can tell people, hand me your org chart. Um, and I can tell you within minutes of how important experience is. In your <laughs> oh, very true. Very true. Sean, again, my gosh, it's it's one of those that like each of these answers or <laughs> conversations we're having is some something incredibly deep. And that idea of focus on the mindset, focus on that. And I'll say you know, from my perspective, I actually think it's both. I'm, I'm much more of an and guy than an or guy in many cases. It could be the improv classes. They always say do yes and and all oh, of yes that. And. But the idea of focusing on that heart, that the mindset shift, that's so important. And I think it gets overlooked in so many, so many different companies. Sean, what a great conversation today. How can people get in touch with you to learn more, to have these kind of great conversations and learn more about you and your company? Yeah. So you can either go to www.mofi.co um, or you can just go to seannason.com. And if that's not easy to remember, you can go to experienceevangelist.com. Um, and it'll take you to my website. And um, thank you for having me on here. It was fun. And um, yeah, I'd love I, to I, have I, more conversation with you, man. I'll get all of that into the show notes and, and, and a link to Kiss Your Dragons, the book as well. I didn't know about that one. So I'm going to yeah. have to go check that out as well. I'm looking forward to, to uh, exploring that book. Sean, thank you so much for the conversation today. It was absolutely delightful. I've learned a crap load. Probably not a phrase I say often. You've given me the opportunity to put the first explicit flag on any of my episodes, and I uh, <laughs> applaud you for doing that, Sean. I'll have to check the e-box on uh, my uploads, but that's going to be fun to check that for the first time. Thank you so much for our conversation, Sean. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on CX Passport. Make sure to visit our website, cxpassport.com, where you can hit subscribe so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, you can check out the rest of the ex for cx website. If you're looking to get real about customer experience, 
EX4CX is available to help you increase revenue by starting to listen to your customers and create great experiences for every customer, every time. Thanks for listening to CX Passport and be sure to tune in for our next episode. Until next time, I'm Rick Denton, and I believe the best meals are served outside and require a passport. Passport.